guys want to grab your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 100. It's where we'll be this morning. Uh, psalm 100 is sometimes categorized as a, a Thanksgiving psalm. Um, and uh, because of the, the subtitle given, a psalm for giving thanks. Uh, but obviously, uh, even as we connect this psalm to uh, Thanksgiving sometime. We know Thanksgiving was, is an American holiday. A lot of people around the world do not celebrate uh, Thanksgiving, and yet because of the Thanksgiving themes in Psalm 100, it's appropriate for us to uh, look at it deeper uh, during this season of Thanksgiving. Okay, so Psalm 100 uh, is only about, let's see, five verses. We're going to read together, so if you can and will, stand up for me, and, or for, for the Lord, sorry, and uh, we're going to read out uh, this together, okay? So hear now the word of the Lord. Verse 1, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Amen. You guys can take a seat. This morning, as we uh, dive into Psalm 100, uh, we have, uh, are going to see basically that the Lord, because the Lord is good, uh, loving, and faithful, we are to come to Him with joyful and thankful worship, okay? And so we're going to see something about who God is and how that leads us to a heart of worship. And there are two major sections here as we begin uh, this psalm. Uh, verses 1 through 4 kind of makes up really the call to worship. And then verse 5 looks at the reasons for our worship. So first, let's look at verses 1 through 4, which is the call to worship. We just read it a moment ago, but each Sunday we begin our service with what's called a call to worship. Okay, And so most of these call to worships, they come from the Psalms. And it's basically God initiating to us to say, come and to worship me together, right? So God is initiating to his people. He is the one that's doing that and starting that worship, saying, come, gather as the people of God and worship the Lord. We know that God is the reason that we gather. God is the reason that we come and praise him together. And that's what we do as we begin each and every service. So Psalm 100 is a call to worship, just like we used it this morning. And it contains seven commands, as we read just a moment ago. These commands are in the form of verbs. Look back at Psalm 100. We see the, the command to make. Secondly, to serve. Third, come. Fourth, know. Five, enter. Six, give thanks. And finally, to bless. And so we see here, even from the beginning, that worship is an active thing. It's not something that is passive, right? We can't just sit here and let it happen. God calls us to do something. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the different commands um, that the Lord gives us here, but we're going to look at a few important things that the Lord points out for us in Psalm 100. 
And the first one is this, that joy is a part of our duty to worship. Joy is a part of our duty to worship. See, many times we look at the Bible or we think about our relationship with the Lord in terms of duty. What we should do, what we must do, right? We see the Bible as a, a list of rules that says, do this and don't do this. Now, surely there's a lot of truth to that way of thinking. The, the Bible is full of commands about how to live our lives. The Bible over and over again says this is what it means to live a godly, upright life. And we also know that we can't do this in and of ourselves, right? God is helping us through his power, through his strength, through his grace to carry out the commands that he gives us. So he's not leaving us on our own, but he is helping us. So even when we grant that, though, there is something often left out of our worship, and that is joy. A lot of times we leave joy out of our worship. But we see in the first two verses here that God is telling us that joy is a key part of our duty. And that duty is a key part of our joy. Let me say that one more time. Joy is a key part of our duty, and duty is a key part of our joy. See, when we come to the Bible, it's not one or the other. We either have duty or we have joy. No, both of them are together for the Christian and here in this song. That's why as a church, one of our core values is that of joyful worship. We believe that the gospel moves us to worship the Lord joyfully and thankfully, right? We realize who God is and what he has done for us when we don't deserve it, and we worship him joyfully and thankfully. Now, that doesn't mean that every song that we sing has to be kind of happy, happy, joy, joy. But there is the full range of emotions that God has given us to express in our worship throughout the, the ups and downs of life that we reflect in our music. And at the same time, we need to be reminded that joy is different from happiness. See, joy and happiness are two different things, even though as a culture we sometimes put them side by side. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is not. Joy can happen in the deepest of pain, in the deepest of sadness, in the deepest times of turmoil in our lives. Joy can happen there and must happen there. Because it's rooted not in our circumstances, but on the promises and truth of God. That's why we can be joyful, even in the midst of very difficult things that we just prayed about. And in fact, we must be joyful, which is the command that God gives us. I think this is convicting for uh, those of us, especially in our denomination, that come to worship services in and out every week, and they are theologically correct worship services, but void of feeling, void of emotion, void of joy. What we see here is, no, that's not the case. We should be theologically correct in our worship. We'll see how that matters here in a minute. But we should also be joyful. How often do we come into God's presence complaining and whining and, and being distracted and frustrated and even emotionless? I know that I'm guilty of that. Amen. Many times I come into a worship service and I feel those things instead of feeling joy. 
in the Lord. That's why I need to be in a church that reminds me that my worship is to be joyful no matter what's going on in my life. In one sense, I'm a part of a New City type church because I need that. I need someone to remind me that worship is to be joyful. I need to be around people who are naturally more joyful than myself. Because naturally, I'm a pessimist, right? Naturally, oh, I say I'm a realist, but I, I say I'm a, well, I'm a pessimist. We need to be around people that are like that. Well, we have seen that, that joy is a part of our worship, but also here in the, the psalm, Number two is that our worship is to be thoughtful. Okay, so yes, joyful, but also thoughtful. So if the last characteristic of worship focuses more on the emotional side of things, this now focuses more on the intellectual side of things, kind of the head category, right? Worship is not just some feel-good experience void of any real content. No, for Christians, truth is... God's truth is at the center of our worship. He cares about how we worship and who we believe he is. Verse 3 begins with the verb know. And it says that we are to know certain things. Let me read verse 3 for us. Know that the Lord is God. He, or, yeah, that he is God. It is he who made us and we are his we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So what does God want us to know about him as we come to worship? Verse 3 highlights some of these things. First, highlights that we are to know that he is God. Right? That the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, he is our God. Not some other God we hear about here on earth, maybe whether it's Allah or Buddha or even the God of secularism or the God of, of money or the God of sex or the God of pleasure. No, not those other gods, but there is only one God, one true God, the God of the Bible that we are to worship. The psalmist goes on to tell us that we are also to know that it is this God, the God of the Bible, who made us, right? We learn in the beginning, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, we are made in the image of God. We reflect part of the one who created us. And as the ones who have been created, we have certain obligations to the creator. That goes on to the next thing that we're to know, that we are his, that we are his people. Right? The one who creates something has the rights of ownership over that thing. An artist over their artwork, for example. One pastor describes it this way. And now on this side of the cross of Christ, we know even more surely and that we are not our own. Not only did God make us, but he bought us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies. And the amazing and wonderful thing is that this is good news. To be owned is good news because our owner has sworn by the blood of his son to free us from sin and Satan and sickness and sadness forever and ever. See, we see ownership sometimes in a negative way, right? Think about slavery, for example. And that is a bad way of viewing ownership. But to be owned by God 
is a beautiful and wonderful thing. That we are his. He created us. We are the sheep of his pasture, even. Now, recently I was at my daughter's school for the career day, and, uh, and I got, get to go into MLK and talk about what it means to be a pastor, right? I get to kind of explain to them the job of a pastor, what it looks like, what are the various roles of being a pastor. And one of the things I say is that a pastor is a shepherd, okay? And I tried to ask them, I said, what is a shepherd, okay? And I know it's going to be interesting having a bunch of city kids answer, what is a shepherd? And the answers are always very interesting. This year, for example, one kid yelled out, after I asked that question, he said, a dog. And I was like, well, a German shepherd is a dog, yes, but that's not what a shepherd is. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is one that watches over sheep. And I explained that to them, and, and it's, they still have a hard time understanding it at times. But what a shepherd does, he watches over sheep. He guides them. He protects them from danger. He makes sure that they get into green pastures so that they can eat and grow and be healthy. And in the same way, God is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. He made us. And he takes care of us, he clothes us, he feeds us, he protects us from danger, he leads us to green pastures, as the famous Psalm 23 says. What a beautiful picture of God's relationship to us, that we are the sheep of his pasture. So these things the psalmist points out, these are things that we are to know about God. The things that, that we are to believe and these things form or inform our worship of him. How can we rightly worship God if we don't know who he is and what he is like? We can't. We have to know. And how are we to know unless someone tells us what he is like? And that's why we have the Bible. God has communicated to us to say, this is who I am. This is what I am like. This is how I want to be worshipped. We don't have to guess at those things because God has already told us in his word. As one commentator points out, he says about the importance of knowledge, right knowledge, he said it's the prerequisite of praise. We've got to have the right knowledge of God so that we praise him in the correct way. See, right thinking about God, given to us in his word, must happen if we are to worship God in the way that he wants to be worshipped. God cares about those things. He's not left them up to us to decide. And also, a right knowledge of God should lead us to joyful worship. And if it doesn't, something is wrong. We've got to check our hearts. Check our minds and say, what's going on inside of us that we are not responding with joy? What am I not getting this Sunday morning? That I'm not responding in joy for who he is and what he has done. So in these first four verses, we've seen God calling us to worship with really all of our heads and our hearts and our hands. Remember, God has created us as whole people. We're not just one versus the other but all three at the same time. I remember my first seminary class um, with a guy named Dr. Culberson. And it was a, a class on uh, devotions, kind of the, the devotional life of a Christian. And basically he said that we Reformed folk 
kind of in the PCA, we forget about this head, heart, and hands concept. He talked about it in a way of think, feel, and do, and how each of these things are important for us and form our worship and our following of the Lord. And really, there are some of us who are probably better in the thinking category. There are some of us who are better in the feeling category. And there are some of us who are better in the doing category of the Christian life. And yet, all three of those play a very important role in the Christian life and in the church's worship. So the question is, which area do we need to grow in? Which one are we naturally better at? Thinking, feeling, or doing? Because we see all of these here in this song. Maybe we're naturally a good thinker and we need to develop in feeling the glorious truths that we know so much about in God's Word. Or maybe we're good at doing. Good at putting things into practice that we learn. And yet maybe we are too quick sometimes to go out to do something instead of thinking about it before we do it. Or maybe still we're naturally a feeler. We have an emotion for everything, right? We emotionally respond. That's how we first do it. And you have an emotion for everything. You might know somebody like that. Yet that person may be too easily swayed by those emotions and not grounded in the truth of God's word. And so that person needs to grow in being grounded in the truth. You know, often one of the prayers, I got this from a devotional book a long time ago. One of the prayers I pray is, God, please align my feelings with the truth of your word. Meaning, I want to feel all that you want me to feel, but let me feel in, in accordance with your truth. Our feelings guided by God's truth instead of the, the whims and, and of circumstances that go up and down in our lives. See, we each may have a naturally different bent as we would go around maybe and share. But we each together emphasize these things as we come together in worship as the one body of Christ. And so I need you and you need me. And we need each other as we worship the Lord together. So verses 1 through 4 is kind of the, the call to worship. And now as we move on to verse 5... It is the reasons for worship. Verse 5, let me read it again for us. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. See, what the psalmist does here for us is he gives us three reasons why we are to worship the Lord. He says that he is good, that he is loving, and that he is faithful. Notice that this psalm is very God-centered, right? It's all about God, who he is, more so than what he has done. So let's think about this character as it's described here for a moment. God is good and loving and faithful. Let me ask us a question. Have you ever thought about it before that whatever God is, he is always? Whatever God is, he is always. So, for example, if he is good, he is always good. Not just that he was good at one point or might be good again in the future, but that he is always and forever good. The same is true about his love and his faithfulness. And the text makes that explicitly clear. It says that his steadfast love does what? It endures forever. 
That is faithfulness to all generations. Not just in our grandparents' generation, not just maybe in our parents' generation, but now in the present and then for the future, for our kids and our kids' kids, that God will be faithful. That's who he is. He can't help but being faithful. God's love for us endures through the young years of our life all the way to the last years of our life. God's faithfulness does not come and go based on our faithfulness, but remains the same forever. Praise God for that. God is our constant in a world full of variables. He is our anchor in in storms of uncertainty. He is those things forever. He is always loving, always faithful, always true. Lastly, I want to point out one of the the impact of, of this. What is the impact of God being who he is forever and ever on our worship? Well, John Calvin, he points out that if this is true, that God is merciful, merciful and faithful always, then we can never be at a loss for a constant cause of praising him. Meaning, if he is always who he is, then we always have reasons to praise God. Amen. We're never lacking reasons to praise him because he is showing us over and over again, day in and day out, his goodness and his faithfulness and his truthfulness. And therefore, we're always in this mode of worship, whether we're out of service or not. That's why our job as worshipers will never end. There are some things that we do here on earth that will end when we get to heaven. But one thing that will not end is that we will worship God forever and ever. And when we get to heaven, we have no problem worshiping him joyfully. We may struggle with that here on the earth, but when we get to heaven, we will always worship God with the fullness of joy into all eternity. That's awesome. Well, as we uh, close our our look here at Psalm 100, I want to bring it back around to the idea of thanksgiving. See, in about two weeks' time, uh, people from all over the world uh, are going to well, it's not all over the world, all over the United States, are going to uh, sit down at a meal and enjoy Thanksgiving together. They're going to be joined by the company of friends and family, and they may gather to eat good food and watch football. And maybe for others, it's going to be a day to, or a weekend to get some crazy deals on, on uh, things on Black Friday or all throughout the weekend. Maybe for some, Thanksgiving is going to be a time where we just think about how thankful we are in light of what other people don't have and that we have. But for Christians, our thanksgiving is not limited to a certain day or a certain amount of material blessings in comparison to someone who has less. See, our thanksgiving is something that is to be continual. Not just one day, not just one week or one month, but ours is to be a constant thanksgiving for the love of God, for the faithfulness of God, and the persistence of His goodness. See, it's good to have holidays because they kind of uh, remind us, hey, you need to be, or celebrate this part of who God is, or you need to uh, remember to be thankful for what you have. And so it's good to have something like thanksgiving. But each and every morning that we wake up, we are to be reminded that we have reasons to give thanks to God. 
every single day. And so Psalm 100 is just another reminder of who God is and how that leads us to joyful and thankful worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 100. It's a beautiful psalm. It's an appropriate psalm for us to look at in this Thanksgiving season. And we thank you, Lord, for uh, just providing for us so richly. We do thank you, Lord, that we um, get to enjoy just a, a, a material blessing, Lord, that many in the world do not even know just a, a fraction of. And yet, Lord, we have even greater things to thank you for. We have our salvation from our sin, which is so much better than even food on a table or a house to live in. We have you, which you are always faithful, always good, always true. You're always everything that you are. And thus we have reason to continually praise you. God, I pray that you would search our hearts and that you would help us to see the places we, where we don't worship you joyfully. We don't worship you with a heart of thanksgiving. And Lord, that you would please grow us in the places that we need to grow. God, that we would learn from each other as we see maybe a, a strength in someone else that we don't have. And we feed off of their joyful worship, for example. I pray that New City Fellowship would be known as a place that the people are joyful. The people are thankful. And that is clear when someone steps into our midst. God, we know that only you can do this. And so we pray, take our eyes off of our hard circumstances. Take, us, take our eyes off of the, the difficult things happening in our lives and fix them on you in this Thanksgiving season. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.